Seems a, a little bit, little bit odd this morning to uh, to not step up here, pause for a moment, and then simply simply read a portion of scripture. Just because that's what that's what we've done over the over the last last three months. Um, I uh, I began really preparing for for this study of the Sermon on the Mount that we're bringing to a, to a conclusion today. Um, just reading and, and thinking about what it might look like and, and how we might consider it. Um, probably about a, a year ago. Uh, and, and it just dawned on me, if we're going to look at this, at this sermon, this, this, perfect, this perfect sermon from, from Jesus, what's, what's the best way to, to go about it? And then how can, we, how, can we, how can we tie it all together and just allow it to, to speak for itself? And so I, I just determined to, to, as we began each one of those lessons, I was just going to simply read Pause and then read the text that we were going to consider um, each morning along the way, and that and that's what we've done. And so I'm, I uh, I hope that as we as we bring things to a conclusion today, this study of the Sermon on the Mount that we've entitled "Living the Sermon," I I hope that that along the way that not only have we have we grown individually. Um, I, I hope that along the way that we've that we've grown collectively, that we've grown that we've grown communally. Um, my my hope is that as we've looked at what Jesus said in those in those three chapters of Matthew, what what Jesus said in that fifteen minute sermon, and 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 I'm just not as good as, as Jesus, and so I can't do it in fifteen minutes. But that those fifteen minutes that Jesus spoke those the words from the Sermon on the Mount and and as they they were heard by that original audience but as they've been heard by by you and I over the last over the last three months and if you recall we that first Sunday in in January I just read the text um, all the way through just to allow Jesus to to speak to us through through his words and through his through his word, and so my hope is that uh, as we bring things to a conclusion today, I, I hope that you feel like you're that you've accomplished something. I hope that we feel like we've accomplished something to, together by investing into a, a study of this. In and I know there have been so many of you who, along the way, you've you, you've come to me some early on, some later on, and who have been keeping up in studying and reading the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you have been reading the Sermon on the Mount every day over the last three months as we've, as we've invested into this, this study. And so today what I really want to do is just sort of, sort of unplug a little bit and focus upon a, a few of the, uh, the high points uh, along the way and consider a few things that prayerfully better equip us to take the message of the sermon with us and to acknowledge here at the beginning that as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount, that as we've seen all of these things that have been, that are very challenging for us. To also recognize that one of the goals of Jesus from the sermon, one of his goals has been to test us. To test our, our metal, To test our resolve as a people of the, of the kingdom. I hope that you've that you've sensed that along the way that the Sermon on the Mount it's a it's a testing ground for the for the kingdom. 
living the Sermon on the Mount is, is not for those who don't take their faith seriously. C.S. Lewis, and, and I know some of you at times will say, okay, is there, a, is there a Sunday that can go by that he doesn't quote from the sermon, from a Sunday that goes by that he doesn't quote from C.S. Lewis? And yet there are a few Sundays, but just not, not this one. Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, in, in his, uh, his book that was published after his death, um, with some essays that, um, that had uh, previously been unpublished, God in the Dock, C.S. Lewis writes this, as you probably know, I haven't always been a Christian. I didn't go to, to, to Christianity to make me happy. Always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. And so I would adapt that statement a little bit for our purposes. If you want to study a portion of God's Word to make you feel comfortable... I certainly don't recommend the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is not for those who don't take their faith seriously. And the sermon, the sermon, it tests us. It tests how serious we are with all of this kingdom stuff, with the stuff of the kingdom. It tests us in regard to how faithful we truly want to be to God. It tests us with how truly faithful we want to be in regard to what God has entrusted to us. And what we've seen all along the way during these three months of study is Jesus saying, declaring to us, this is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. And in the kingdom, you're blessed. You're blessed when you're a part of the kingdom. In the kingdom, you are blessed When you're at the end of your rope. Why? Not because you're at the end of your rope. But because you're a part of the kingdom. In the kingdom, you're you're blessed when you know who you are. And when you know who you belong to. In the kingdom, the the call is to be salt and is to be light in in a world that is incapable of of either one, and we don't expect the world to be either one because this world is temporary. And yet the kingdom, the kingdom that we're a, a part of, it's not of this world. In the kingdom, we give all glory to God. We give all glory to God because any righteousness, any righteousness that we can come up with, any righteousness that we can that we can muster within ourselves comes from him and not from us. In the kingdom, we don't hate. That's the way of the world. But it's not us. It better not be us. We don't, we can't, we don't add more darkness to darkness because darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And we're a people of light. The kingdom is so upside down and right side up that in the kingdom of God, we even, we even love our enemies. And we love them so much that they ask us why. Kingdom people are a, are a benevolent people. 
And that, that's not just about money, but it's about money. Kingdom people are a benevolent people. We're, we're liberal with grace. Liberal with mercy. Liberal with love. Kingdom people are a, a people of prayer. A people of sacrifice. A people whose, whose treasures are in the heavenly realm. We're, we're a people who trust God to be God and who recognize that we are not. And who seek His kingdom. And we seek His righteousness rather than our own. In the kingdom, we leave the judging to God. In the kingdom, we ask. In the kingdom, we seek. In the kingdom, we, we knock. In the kingdom, we walk. We walk the narrow way of Jesus recognizing that that way ain't easy but the kingdom ain't about easy. And in the kingdom, and as a kingdom people, we build our lives upon the bedrock of the kingdom of God. Because we know and we believe. We, we know it and we believe it because we have experienced it to be true. That all other ground is seeking sinking sand. And as we began the, the Sermon on the Mount, that first Sunday of, of January, if you remember, we, we began with the end in mind. As Jesus shares that final, that final illustration, that final analogy at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, of the wise and the foolish builders. Because when the rains of life fall, and the streams rise, and the wind blows, when we're tested, when life tests us, when the enemy tests us, when the things of this, this fallen, broken world test us, and test, when the enemy tests us, whether or not our house, our lives are built upon the kingdom then and only then through testing will we truly know if all of this is really real to us this quote from eugene peterson so jesus the way and the ways of jesus he shows us the way he also is the way he doesn't point out the way and then step aside and let us get there on our own the best we can. Jesus points out the way, but He takes the initiative, inviting us to, to go with Him. Taking us with Him across land and sea, through all kinds of weather, avoiding dead ends and seductive byways, watching out for danger and alerting us to enemies. Jesus is our way to God. But at the same time, Jesus is God's way to us. I said last week, it's the will of God. It's the will of God and the way of Jesus. Wonderfully colliding in the kingdom. Oswald Chambers puts it this way, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of life. We will live. 
when the Holy Spirit is getting His way with us. And I think at times, <clears throat> maybe at times we're guilty of, of forgetting the Holy Spirit's role in, in all of this. The, the Spirit that God has given us, shaping us and molding us, crafting us more into the image of Jesus, but also molding us and shaping us, crafting us more and more into a, a people who are defined by the, the kingdom. Jesus in John chapter 14 says this, the counselor, your version may read helper, the counselor, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. The Spirit will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And think of the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice. They're a people of the kingdom. This from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Those who live the Sermon on the Mount are blessed when they're poor in spirit. Blessed when they mourn. Blessed whenever they foster peace in a world that is void of it. Blessed because we're a part of the kingdom of God. Those who who live the Sermon on the Mount turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Treat others as they would be treated. Those who live the Sermon on the Mount, they bask in the glory and astonishment. The wonder that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, that everything points toward Jesus. If we'll just see Him from that perspective, from the proper perspective. Those who live the Sermon on the Mount enter through the narrow gate and only a only a few find it. Some of you know a former professor from, from Abilene named Ian Fair. He retired years, years ago. He, he's in his 80s. Periodically, he'll still lecture. Ian's from, from South Africa. And he lived in a very rural area. And when he was converted as a teenager, 70 years ago, after he was baptized into Christ and began to learn more and more about Christ, he asked the, the missionary that baptized him, are there others like us? Are there, are there others out there that, that have this, that know this, that belong to this, that are a part of this? And the missionary said, yeah, there are, there are many. There are many at the same time, Jesus says, the way is... The way is narrow, and it's hard, and only a few find the courage to travel it. And what's important to say, and I, and I want to walk away from this study without having said it, is that every bit of the Sermon on the Mount, every bit of it is, is facilitated by, it, it's, it's prompted by the love of God. This from Henry Nouwen. Jesus' whole life in teaching had only one aim. To reveal this inexhaustible, unlimited love of 
his God and to show the way to let that love guide every part of our daily lives. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is about, is about God's love. The Sermon on the Mount, it's about, it's about, it's about God's, God's grace. And yet for, for years, churches, Christians, preachers shied away from teaching about God's grace, sharing about God's grace, talking about it, focusing upon it, being honest with Scripture in regard to it. And I think, I think that came, that, that, that the response of, of shying away from the concept of grace for some for decades, I think the motivating factor behind that was fear. Now some of you, some of you are nodding your head because you experienced this. Maybe you grew up in a, a time or in a culture whenever grace just, it just was taboo. It wasn't, it wasn't talked about, especially, especially at church. Grace was for those who were, who were weak and who needed it. Not for those who were faithful. And, and yet I, I can say that, that, was, that just wasn't my experience growing up. And I, and I praise God. I praise God for that. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll have someone who talks about maybe uh, a, an experience, a negative experience, especially and in, in, in particular in regard to this concept of, concept of, of, of grace. And I, even though I intellectually understand it, that just wasn't my experience, the culture or climate that I grew, grew up in. But this fear of grace, when we, when we truly consume it for what it is, where might that lead? Now, the, the fear is that somehow it would compel us to be a less faithful people if we knew what it was about. But the point behind the grace of God is, is the polar opposite of that. The goal is that we would be more faithful people, not less, when we embrace the grace that God has given us in, in Jesus. And, and I'll tell you, when it comes to, when it comes to grace in in ministry i uh <clears throat> i have been so extremely blessed over the last several years here in being your preaching minister specifically in regard to the concept of grace i've been so extremely blessed to be your preaching minister here because of the preaching ministry of james hawk of, of following a man of grace who preached grace for a quarter of a century before I got here. And I can even remember some, some conversations early on, my first year here, when I would discuss with, with James, you know, this is what we've got coming up. Here's, here's the sermon that I'm looking at for, for this uh, Sunday. And, and to say, well, you know, this... This and this, these may be some things that are going to be a little bit uh, difficult for them. And James would say, nah, we crossed that bridge a long time ago. And I'm so thankful for that. To be a people of grace. That's what the kingdom of God is about. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is, is about. And if, if we read it seriously, and if we take seriously the call that we see that we see within it, 
And yet out of fear, many rejected a doctrine of grace. And the result was a crippling of the spiritual life. You tracking with me? We did the same thing. Or there are those who have done the same thing in regard to the Spirit. Have they not? That Well, we don't quite understand exactly what the Spirit is. And if we allow ourselves to be open to the, to the Spirit, we're... Where exactly might that lead? Because the Spirit blows where, where it will, and, and we can't control that. And so out of fear, if ever our motivation is fear rather than faith, we need to check our motivation. I say all that. I say all of that because perhaps that was then and this is now. I pray that we're growing in the, in the grace and knowledge of God, even though even though it's not like we've arrived and have it all figured out. But that was then and this is now. And so are you ready for the, the new millennia obstacle to overcome, even though we are 19 years into the new millennia? I think one of the areas that we struggle, one of the areas of faith, Scripture, theology, practice one of the ways that we wrestle perhaps more than any other is with the love of God I think we're confounded by it we struggle with it we're confused by it in on one hand what we wrestle with what we can't bring ourselves to to quite fully accept, even if we accept it intellectually, what we struggle with accepting emotionally is the fact that God loved us so much. That number one, that He sent Jesus. And then secondly, that He would continually forgive us when in covenant relationship with Him. What sort of exacting God does that? And yet that's the beauty of the Gospel. So I think we struggle with, with, with understanding and taking in and embracing God's love for us. And then, I think we also wrestle with how, how are we to live a life of love where we demonstrate the love that God has poured out upon us and that we see poured out in Scripture. How do we become a people of the kingdom and love others to that extent? To love others to the extent that we're willing to be wounded. To love others to the extent that we're willing to risk. I think we struggle because God's love is so astronomical. It's so far-fetched. With all of the teachings presented by Jesus, Jesus the Christ, Jesus, the fulfillment of the law in the Sermon on the Mount. Of all of the things that Jesus teaches within these three powerful chapters of Scripture, if we were to try to to narrow it all down to understand what exactly, what are Jesus' primary things that He's wanting to teach us? I think it's twofold. I think first it's love. Love. And the second may sound strange. I think it's testing. 
I think the Sermon on the Mount tests us. You see, very often we will separate discipline from discipleship. And that's just not the way of the kingdom. Neil read for us earlier that, that text from Genesis chapter 22 with, with Abraham and Isaac there on, on Mount Moriah. As, as Abraham has been called by God, he's, he's, he's been made these promises by God. And yet it's not only, I mean, we expect the world to test us. But this is God testing Abraham to take this child of, of the promise. And depending upon your understanding of the text, I don't know, it might be that Isaac was a teenager at this point, which shows some, some faith on his part. Well, it might have made it easier to sacrifice him. But <clears throat> as the sacrifice, as the wood, as everything is brought together, and as Abraham is about to carry out what seems just so contrary to who God is and what God wants. And yet as Abraham is about to carry out the unthinkable, God stops him. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Here I am. Here I am. Love and testing. The Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, it tests us. And the call, the call is to lay it all, all of life. The call is to lay it all on the altar. To live a life that's sacrificed to the Lord. In view of God's mercy to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. To live life on the altar. It's, it's, it's altar and table language. Think about that. In the Old Testament, there was the altar of sacrifice. And then there was the meal of se- celebration from Passover. Altar and table. It's always been a part of the practice of God's people. Of the language of God's people. That's the reason why God planned it the way that He did. So that altar and table, cross and communion would be familiar to us. That we might better understand God's purposes behind them. And that we might each take up our cross daily and follow the way of Jesus. Faith, sacrifice, and then testing. Testing. One more quote, this this uh, from Eugene Peterson as well. This is a, an abrupt statement or some abrupt statements. Our faith, all faith, everyone's faith needs testing. We cannot be trusted to test ourselves. We are too full of self-interest and self-deceit. We are too devious in devising ways to cook the books to determine the evidence that serves our illusions. 
when we look at the track record of priests and temples, pastors and churches, missionaries and missions, it is obvious that religion in all its forms, including most emphatically Christianity, is a perpetual breeding ground for violence, abuse, superstition, war, discrimination, tyranny, and pride. Religion and spirituality is a bottomless pit breeding illusion, deceit, and oppression. So, testing. Testing. And that's what makes the Sermon on the Mount so very radical. That's what makes the sermon so radical. Radical in the, in the truest sense. You can go to that final slide there. When we think of the word radical, we think of something that's out there. If something's radical, it's just, it's just way out there. It's, it's over the top. It's against the norm. It's above and beyond. It's, if something's radical, it is pushing the envelope for that which is normative. That's what we think of whenever we hear the word radical, which certainly is the message of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is all of those things, does all of those things. But a little etymology lesson. The word radical, the word radical comes from the Latin root radix, R-A-D-I-X. And the word radix actually means from or of the root. Radical and being radical in its truest sense is actually getting to the root, to the heart of what something is about. I'm told that in math it's the same thing, that placing a number under the radical expresses the root of the number. In other words, where that number comes from. And I have no idea what that means, but those of you who know math do. Math's just not my thing. The Sermon on the Mount is so very radical because kingdom life is radical. It's radical in the sense of it's outrageous. It's over the top. Yes. It's on the edge. But also radical in its truest sense. The Sermon on the Mount is radical because it's at the root. It's at the heart. The Sermon on the Mount is at the core of the kingdom of God. And through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he... He beckons the question, does your heart want what God's heart wants? There's no more radical question than that. Does your heart want what God's heart wants? Nothing that is within us that has not been sacrificed, that has not been put to death, can ever be resurrected. That's radical. Nothing within us that has not died will ever be raised to life. That's radical. The call is to lay it all, all of life, on the altar of the Lord. So I want to bring together, bring to a conclusion our call to live the sermon and our study of the Sermon on the Mount with a, with a prayer. A, pray to, a prayer to, to, and to pray that we would be a people of the kingdom who lay our lives on the altar of the Lord every day. So pray with me, please.
Father, you know our hearts. You know who we are deep within. Whether or not we are are struggling. Whether or not we are wavering. Whether or not we take seriously this call of the kingdom, recognizing that that we're going to fall short, but also recognizing that that doesn't diminish our call to discipleship. And God, you also know whether or not we're going through the motions. And so I pray, God, to, that that this that these words from your Son, that this sermon, that these statements that we've seen Jesus make during the, this study and within these three chapters of. Your holy word. Father, I pray that we would anew, that we would live life on the altar. That we would that we would be a kingdom people, a people defined by you, and that living the sermon, living the sermon would be so very paramount in the lives that you have given us, blessed us, and called us to live. It's in Jesus' name we pray this prayer. Amen. We want to conclude our, our time together with a, an, an offer, an invitation of response. Maybe for you that means to be baptized into Jesus, which is the call of God through Christ, to be immersed into Christ. Or maybe for you it means that you require this church to pray for you. If we can bless you in some way, come forward as we stand and sing.